Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Informal Education Podcast. I had a really great time recording this episode with my friend Jess. I hope you guys enjoy it. And just a big shout out to Jess. Her fitness account will be linked in the description of the video. So make sure to go check her out on Instagram. Thanks. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode three of the Informal Education Podcast. I know, I know, it's been a week. I took a little hiatus to focus on some personal stuff, but we're back. And today with me, I have my friend Jess. How's it going? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So today we're just going to, you know, skim over a few uh, a few topics about, you know, Jess's personal life and then get into what we're really here to talk about today, which is, you know, kind of body image related issues with uh, with young women, right? Mm-hmm. So just yes, to start yes. things off, uh, from what I've heard from you, you're applying to a lot of theater programs right now. Is that correct? Yeah, 13. 13 universities from everywhere around the world really like different countries yeah we have we have london we have um a few in uh the u.s some in vancouver montreal toronto just everywhere what's the number is it nyu no what's the number yeah, one uh the, the number one is juilliard and oh, funny juilliard. enough Okay. Yeah, funny enough, I visited once because it was like, it's been my dream for so long. Yeah. Um, and I missed the deadline. <laughs> oh. And it was, I sobbed, but it's okay. It wasn't meant for me. I always um, thought Juilliard was like a classical music guy. No, like, it, it has, yeah, it has theater programs, but they're not, I don't, you know what? I honestly don't think it was for me anyway. It's more theater directed and I'm more film directed. If yeah, that makes which sense. is super different. Yeah, so you know what? I got over it, and I have 13 other options, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> and the thing about you applying to these universities, it's not just, you know, the classic university application that I'm sure, like, everyone listening to this or most yeah. people listening to this are doing right now. Like, oh, you know, what are some activities, you know, like, write some your awards and whatever down. Like, that's probably a part of it, but you also have to do auditions, right, which you record. Yeah, yeah, you know, I had to dedicate a whole day to just auditions and it's like the the thing is it's like I use the same monologues right but it's like you have to do different angles you have to do some in all in one take you have to do songs you have to do it's just like a whole repertoire of specifics that you have to do so it gets it gets kind of tedious but it happened in a day it was easier than I thought and it went well so you know what I'm glad what do you see in a, a typical like audition for something like this what are the things they ask of you um, it's different for every school, but uh, usually it's a classical monologue, which is basically like Shakespeare, um, any kind of before 1900s. And then you have to do a contemporary monologue, which is anything from after the 1900s uh, from a play. It has to be from a play. It can't be from like a TV show or a movie. It has to be from a play. And play? sometimes they ask you for a song. I just chose like a very, for Shakespeare, I did As You Like It. I don't know if you know, it's very it's obscure. underrated it's like one. Yeah. Oh, underground. Like, you want it to be like, you want yeah. to be like, you can't come I in with Macbeth, be, you know, you got No, because you can't, you can't do something everyone else does. And I don't know, it's so tricky, but, and then uh, I just chose a play that it's a Canadian play. It's short. No one knows it, but I just, uh, it's, it's called Between Mars and Me. It's actually a really good play, but um, I just chose something that no one really knew just because I was afraid of choosing that something that's one that everyone else has done. You want to try to avoid that, apparently. <laughs> now, before COVID, were you going to see a lot of plays? Is that something you you love to do? 
Uh, yeah, I I was see I was supposed to see actually Hamilton for the second time for my birthday, but that obviously didn't happen, which is kind of rude, but that's okay. Uh, no, yeah, but I saw I saw plays from everywhere. I was hoping to travel again this year, go back to New York, which is where I'm hoping to end up. Um, but yeah, that was kind of unfortunate. Also, my auditions kind of got, you know, canceled. Everything went to a halt. I had some uh, short films that were supposed to come out, but again. COVID so they're still in post-production I'm still waiting for those but hopefully those will come out sometime soon but yeah everything just kind of stopped which is upsetting but nothing Hamilton twice yeah I've never seen Hamilton oh <laughs> so good out? when did it come out like 2015 it's been a while yeah yeah I went to New York and the you know Broadway it's just it's really big and like showy over there yeah uh is, and that's where you want to end up well not in yeah, Broadway that's the dream uh, maybe. But maybe. Don't, don't you want to go into film? Honestly, I, I'd be open to anything. I, I love it all. I love it all. But it could, I could be I, looking I, at Hollywood, you know. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I would love to either end up in New York or LA, hopefully both at some point. But I mean, you never really know. I'm not I'm not that picky. Just as long as I can perform and, and do what I love, then I'll be a happy gal. Dude, Toronto, New York, and Los Angeles, that's got to be like the trifecta of terrible housing markets. Yeah, it's so expensive. So, and, so, uh, so expensive. Just tell me this one thing, because I always, this this always, you know, immediately strikes me every time I've seen a play performed. <laughs> There's just something so, so uh, standard about the voice. I know it's like projecting your voice, but they mm -hmm. always, you know, in plays, they always speak with, such like a flamboyance is that something that's taught yeah. or is that is that just you just see other people do it so you assume that's what you're supposed to do because obviously in movies you know no one's talking like that but in theater you have to convey you know emotion but it all it all kind of it's very like I don't know there's yeah. something about it it's it, they do it every time right yeah no for it you know I personally think that I've done both stage acting and screen acting and I think that they're both very different generally they're the same but when you kind of go into the depths they're different you know you on when you're on stage you have to act out but when you're on film you have to act into the camera you know what I mean so it's like when you're on stage you're taught to reject out you want the last person in the audience to hear what you're saying you have to be loud flamboyant you know because when you're on screen it's so different because the camera gets everything it gets it sees everything. It sees, it practically sees what you're thinking. It's scary, but um, yeah, it's, it, they're just so, they're so different because one is so personal and the other's like, you have to share it with so many other people on a huge scale and a huge room. So you have to be very extra, very dramatic. That's what I was always taught, especially from stamp, but yeah, that's, that's just, that's what everyone does. It's, it's what you're taught. Have you ever done a, an improv class or something like that? That seems like done, so, so interesting to me. Yeah, I've done improv. Uh, I've done it for both stage and screen. It's something that you get better at. Um, it's not, it's not the best. It's, it's honestly hit or miss. A lot of yes Sometimes, and. Yeah. I know you go in, terms in there. <laughs> yeah, you, you go in with like this idea and you think it's brilliant and sometimes it doesn't land and sometimes you do something that you think no one's gonna get but then it lands really well. It's like honestly hit or miss. Uh, it, do they do have you ever done a like comedically focused improv? I know there's a lot of improv comedy. That's I'm so in, interested in doing something like that. I feel like <laughs> that would be so funny. Uh, the only 
like comedic improv I've done is in drama class. It's usually always comedic. It's probably, I'd say it's 99% comedic. That's just the way people go because it's a lot easier. But um, yeah, I've done comedic improv in drama class and nowhere else. I try to avoid it as much as possible because uh, it's really stressful. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm more of a dramatic actor, I like to think, but uh, comedic's fun every once in a while, but I don't know. Everyone has their preferences. Everyone's a dramatic actor until they get that Adam Sandler check. Right. Like, oh, come be in Grown Ups 4. It's like, yeah, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. Selma Hayek. <laughs> You're big into to, to films, right? Do you have a, a favorite film that came out this year? Oh, Jesus. I Because there weren't even that many. There was like... I know, there wasn't. You know, I I actually have, have a huge list of movies that I haven't seen that I'm trying to catch up on. So... Maybe not recently, but one I just watched. It's old. It's not from this year, but it's... Have you seen The Game? Game. I I read a book called The Game, but I it's don't think it's that. crazy. Oh, I'm like, like, I'm literally getting, like, chills. What is it it's about? It's crazy. It's about... I don't even know how to explain it. It's about this guy, and his brother signs him up for, like, an interactive game because they're insanely rich. And it's just, it's, it's a mind fuck. You never know when it's over. And then I honestly, I can't even, I can't even go into it because the ending. So it's like kind of like a tenant type beat or. Yeah, you know, it's it just, that's interesting. The, the book I read called the game was about like simulation games where yeah. this guy who, you know, the, there's this kind of line of work where all you do is you, you go into a life simulator and you're in there for, you know, as long as a normal life could be. But then when you come out, you that felt like how long it was, oh, but it was just like a few minutes and or, or a few hours, and you just do it for people's entertainment. That that was kind of cool. The thing with a lot of like good films that I, I like have a list that I want to see. Who has the time to sit down and watch a three hour movie? Like I know Citizen Kane, Lawrence of Arabia. I know you know, <laughs> Gone with That's the Wind. My problem. I, just, I just don't have that kind of time. Scarface. These are all like movies I definitely want to see, but yeah, that's, that's I just don't have enough a large enough attention span that's my problem i get bored easily how do they write three hours of movie like i just i don't know i don't know i'm glad that we kind of strayed away from that like in the modern day of yeah definitely an hour to two hours now kind of moving on to what we're really here to talk about you've had a fitness account on instagram for a you know a pretty long time how long has it been now uh i made it in grade nine so just around four years. Yeah. And, you know, that's been a big focus of yours. Yeah. What are some of your favorite things about running that account? Honestly, my favorite thing is just getting messages from people saying how much I've helped them. Like, it, it honestly, that was just the number one thing, that my number one reason for making this account. Because when I was at the depths of my despair, there was no one for me to talk to. And I felt so alone. And when I created this account... Uh, when I started focusing my attention into this account, I should say, I was doing it so that I could give advice that I wish that I could have heard when I was struggling. And just hearing people say that I've helped them and them being opening up so much to me, it honestly means the absolute world to me. Now, the the usual fitness account is just videos and, you know, tips and tricks. But with pretty much every post, you you also have a caption, which is essentially a very long paragraph speaking about, you know, some of the things you're going through or just some just some life advice. 
do you do you think that it's important when you you know you've achieved something that you're proud of to be able to share it back with your friends and everyone else who's you know followed to you definitely I I honestly open up more in that account than I do to anyone in my life and it's something that I've gotten a lot better with but I think that honestly it's it's so important to do that because sometimes your daily thoughts are something that someone else needs to hear and um I feel like each caption of mine is so complex and so different and so like uh, unique and specific. So I just think that sometimes someone may be going through the exact same thing. And sometimes people comment, be like, oh, I literally needed to hear this so bad today. So thank you. And uh, I just think it's important to say what you're thinking and stop being so hush hush about the scary thoughts that you have. Yeah, stigmatized topics, which leads us to Kind of the next topic of discussion is what led you to start this account? Yeah, so um, I started this account in grade nine. And when I started this account, it was for me to document my weight loss, which then quickly turned into me documenting my recovery, which I'll explain now. So uh, growing up, I was not skinny. I was always kind of chubby and um, that really affected me. Um, you know, going to dance class or just hearing from people in my class, calling me chubby, calling me fat, nothing ever fit me. I'd cry in a changing room at a mall. Like it was just, it was my whole life. And I remember being at, in grade two and just looking in my mirror and crying because I hated what I saw, which is so wrong. You know, you shouldn't be focusing on your body when you're in grade two. You should be focusing on making a play date with your friend, right? And um Anyway, once I got older, I was in grade eight. I actually started to lose weight successfully uh, and I was feeling really good. But once I got to grade nine and I went to this completely new school and saw all these like stunning girls that I wanted to look like, I was so self-conscious and everything that I was doing just multiplied by a hundred. And I was eating less and less every day, tracking my calories, like so specifically um, working out for hours a day and I got to an extremely low weight. Um, and I, you know, kind of was, I was diagnosed with anorexia, which, uh, was, I knew I had a problem, but it was like, I didn't really care because I was skinny, you know? Um, but that kind of went on and kind of, uh, developed into different kinds of eating disorders and, uh, it got better and then it got worse and it got better and got worse, but um, it kind of consumed my life for two years until I really dedicated myself to recovery. Yeah, so now your your focus is less obviously on weight loss and more just overall fitness. Do you think that growing up, it was a lot of the you know, standards that were set for women by society that pushed you into feeling a certain way? I mean, even in grade two, I mean, you probably didn't consciously think that, but just seeing you know, models here at everywhere, you know, bikini models or just all the kind of sexualized femininity pushed in, in media. Do you think that had a big impact on you? Definitely. I think, you know, every, almost every woman you see in your favorite TV show growing up, they're all skinny. And if they're not, they're the comedic best friend, you know, and yep. it's like, no one wants to be the comedic best friend. Everyone wants to be the main girl, the skinny main girl. And I think that with the mixture of people telling me that I was chubby and being surrounded by skinny girls, I just think the mixture was just not good for me. 
So uh, obviously the media does have a lot to do with it and people are really pushing change. Do you, do you support the idea of kind of telling, you know, normalizing being overweight, I guess is, is a term that I can use. Uh, I feel like that's a movement that kind of has really risen in the media recently where people want to stop, you know, being told how to look. Do you think that's unhealthy to an extent? Cause there's, there's obviously a big debate here just in general on the internet where some people are saying, well, if we don't have, you know, a certain standard or something of that sort, well, that, that could push people into unhealthy living standards. Whereas someone else says, uh, well, pushing that standard on someone isn't very healthy for their mental health either. So is it kind of a balance or what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that it's important to accept every body type. Um, but I also think that healthy living is important. I think that having a balanced, you know, balanced life of eating healthy, what you consider to be healthy and eating what you want. I think that is so important. I think being active is so important. Um, and I think it's important to remember that some of these people who, you know, you would consider obese or consider overweight have medical issues in which they can't lose weight. Um, and I think it's important to look at it from that standard. Uh, just to, I think it's important to find the balance. I think every body should be considered beautiful. I think we need to showcase every type of body more now. Um, and I think also that considered that we need to make sure that these people are following a healthy lifestyle um, and have a healthy mindset towards healthy eating and having a balanced, a balanced lifestyle. Yeah, those are, you know, all great points. I mean, health is obviously really important, but shaming someone and bringing them down for something they probably have a hard time controlling. And just the the entire idea of, you know, continually telling someone they're fat as if they don't know, as if they don't see it every day, that's probably the number one thing in their mind. So I don't think they need a bunch of people telling them they're overweight or, or whatnot. Now, when you were, you know, having your experiences with eating disorders at your worst, did you did you, were you still brushing it aside or were you, were you self-aware that this was a problem for you? Um, I knew I had a problem. I knew I like, it would, it would, I just remember like looking up, you know, do I have an eating disorder, like eating disorder? Like what are the symptoms? Like, and I would read it and it would be everything I was doing. I knew. And I, I just, I didn't, I didn't really care because I was like, I just, I, you know, wanted my whole life to be skinny and now that I can go shopping and try on the smallest size and it fits me like that feels awesome and if I have to skip breakfast to do that if I have to work out for two hours to do that then that's fine um but you know it got to a point where it was like every day was exhausting you know like I would get up and I'd be like oh you know shit I can't eat today you know, and it's like my favorite part of the day was going to sleep because I didn't have to think about what I was eating. I didn't have to think about working out. And it just got to a point where it was like, I, I couldn't, I physically couldn't do it. And that's when I decided to recover. And people were obviously concerned about me. And um, it was a mixture of, of those, both of both of those things. So how many years were you struggling with, with it before you, you kind of, before your turning point? Uh, so I would say it was more of the, you know, the anorexic, you know, type of the under eating over exercising abnormally low body weight that went on for probably, I don't know, I want to say a year. 
Um, and, you know, the first few months, I would always say, yeah, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. But I, I, you know, it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it takes a lot of time. You relapse. It's a lot. But, um, but then that kind of, it kind of turned into other types of, you know, eating disorders like, you know, bulimia. And then it went to, um, you know, binge eating. It was just like, I was kind of all over the map. It was a lot. It was heavy. And I've actually never <laughs> admitted that to anyone about like what has happened to me, but you know, there comes a time where you actually have to talk about it and be open about it. But um, yeah, and it, it, it turned and I was really secret about it. People thought that I was okay because I had a shredded body um, and I looked like I was eating, but I really wasn't doing okay. And I would, you know, I would be at a special occasion and I'd sneak to the washroom or I would go home and exercise or I wouldn't eat the next day. And it was just, it was kind of like I was keeping a secret from everyone. And it was like, I felt like I was being just like, I don't know, it, it felt like a secret miss mission. Like I, I was just being devious behind everyone's back. And it was like, my life was a secret. And you felt guilt, you know, from that? Yeah, I did. It was like, I wanted so bad. It felt like every day was a cry for help almost. But at the same time, I wouldn't talk to anyone about what I was going through. And if I did, it was so minuscule and it wasn't even anything. It wasn't, I didn't say any details. I didn't say what I did. Like I, you know, I'm just admitting this kind of stuff now. Like it just shows how, how secretive, you know, eating disorders are. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't open up to anyone and uh, it, and I felt guilty. I felt guilty for how I looked. I felt guilty for how I was treating myself. It's just, it's a monster. It's a black hole of back and forth and a fight in your head. And it's exhausting. Now, uh, when you were struggling with, you know, the disorder, was there a, there was, I'm, I'm sure there was a visible, a visible kind of aspect to it. Could people tell, or, or did people just assume you were just, you know, really healthy or really fit? Or could they tell that something was kind of up? Um, for the first few months, I lost weight really fast. Um, I remember before grade nine, before I got into high school, I, my cousin was like, okay, like, don't lose any more weight. You're good. You're at a good point. And I was, and I was like, yeah, whatever. And then I went to high school anyway, went back downhill. I lost like 15 pounds within a you know few weeks, went to Thanksgiving. My whole family was like, okay, like, like she needs to stop. Like she can't lose any more weight. I remember my cousins being like, like, shit, she's really skinny. And I don't know, I was like almost proud of it. Um, yeah, but I was just at that really skinny point for a while. I was so uncomfortable. But then uh, my body kind of turned into being like really lean because I was weightlifting, but I still had no fat on my body. And I loved it, the way I looked. People would praise me for how I looked and I just kind of got obsessed with it. Um, but then your body kind of catches up, especially when you get into recovery and you start eating a bit more, your body catches up, your body's so confused. And I gained like 10 pounds out of nowhere. Um, and that's when like my eating disorder kind of changed into something else. And I started developing even worse, unhealthier habits. Um, and then I finally, you know, got professional help, found my resting point and uh, my body still fluctuates, fluctuates till this day. But um, it, I, it's just about being patient and your body figuring out where it's meant to be. So, you know, when you were 
trying to lose weight or you said that you it made you kind of happy to hear people question your weight loss and whatnot. Do you think losing the weight was more about self-validation or just validation from others? Uh, probably validation from others. I think it was a bit of both because I've always just been really hard on myself in all aspects of life, but um, also validation from others because I was ashamed. You know, I was ashamed when I first lost weight, when I first decided to actually genuinely lose weight in grade eight was because I was going on a trip with all my cousins and they were all skinny and fit and healthy. They all played sports. And I was the only one who wasn't. And um, I was like, okay, like, I I don't want to go and be embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of these people. So I went, I lost a bit of weight and I went, I was proud of myself. I worked out every day I was there uh, because I was ashamed. I was ashamed of myself. And I wanted people to be like, wow, you look really good. And once I started getting those compliments of, wow, you look great. It's like, you get obsessed because you've never heard that before. And it's like addicting. And that's what kind of fuels the, um, the, the overeating or over, over exercising and under eating. But I mean, it's all out of, you know, good heart, but you don't really know. It's kind of tricky. You don't know how those comments affect someone, even if they're, you know, all good intentions. Now you mentioned relapsing earlier. What kind of, you know, triggered a relapse? Um, It could really be anything. Um, It could be, you know, not fitting into your clothes. It could be um, seeing, looking in the mirror, not liking what you see. It could be looking at an old photo where you were skinnier. It could be someone saying something. It could be seeing something online of what people eat in a day. Um, it could be an account where this girl is really skinny, like honestly, a number of things. You're really fragile in the recovery stage. And how many times do you think you did relapse? So many, so, so many, really like, you know, you don't really notice until, until later on how many times, but recovery is so not linear. It's just every, every time you relapse, you just get, you know, that much closer. And I think it's kind of necessary um, of the process because you learn you learn what triggers you you know what you can't see you know what you can't do um, you know whether you need to seek pro- professional help uh, it's just every relapse is kind of a lesson but now you think you're at a place where you don't see yourself ever you know relapsing again or do you, yeah. do you think it is possible I I don't think I don't think I could ever do that to myself again unless something drastic happened god forbid uh, I just think that now I know you know, so much of the science behind it. And I know what it's like. I know what, you know, a balanced life is like, and I wouldn't change it for anything. Now, you know, we, we kind of talked about how it was a, a societal kind of push that makes young girls think a certain way that they have to be. Do you think that's just a a problem with, you know, patriarchy and men, or do you think it's just a, it's a problem with, humanity as a whole do you think there's a lot of women who also push these kind of standardizations yeah a hundred percent it's it's both you know honestly for me it was more with women who were telling me that I wasn't good enough and you know I had dance teachers telling me that I was fat I had girls in my dance class tell me that I was fat I had my friends tell me that I was fat I had family tell me I was, like it's just it's and it was mostly women because the problem is that what I've learned in my life is that people see people it's like it's all kind of like a jealousy kind of thing it's like people see you succeeding in some sort of way and they're like okay uh, I need to bring her down somehow 
you know, and it's, it's just kind of like a competition. It's kind of a thing with girls. Everything's a competition, even with, with your best friend, it's a competition. And uh, um, I think it's just insecurities that are being kind of, you know, uh, projected onto each other. So I, I saw it more from women. Um, you know, of course, I saw it from men when I was older, but mostly from women. Now, the, there's always, you know, always the stereotype in film and TV about the, about just how mean girls are to each other. I mean, they're, you know, mean girls. It's, it's yeah. kind of a stereotype. How much of that is true? It's so true. It's so true. Because girls guys are, are nothing like that. Girls are fucking brutal. Like, I am not even gonna lie. Like, they are brutal. I, the amount of amount of girls I've known in my life who are like who have literally made me be like, how are you a real person for how you're treating me right now? It's it's crazy. Is it like passive aggressive? I feel like that's also a a big thing yeah. where it's like, oh, you look you look good today, or like something. I don't know some some. Yeah, uh... a lot of it. A lot of it is passive aggressive, but um, I've I've had encounters where it's just straight up like straight up bitch but um a lot of, most of it is passive aggressive yeah now going into acting that's such a such a competitive field where everyone's just trying to bring each other down and make it to the top especially if you consider moving to a place like LA where you know it's yeah. notorious for just people being really shitty to each other just to make their way to the top do you think you're better prepared to handle that now that you've experienced it growing up yeah you know i I've I've had kind of a weird life. I like to look at it that way. I'm very privileged, I will say, but just like weird experiences and like met the weirdest, like craziest people. But um, I look at everything that I've been through. I look at it as, you know, just another thing making me stronger. That's what my mom always told me. And um, I look at it as just another story I can tell when, you know, I'm getting interviewed or whatever. But, um, you know, yeah, acting is is a very competitive field. But what I've learned is that um, jealousy is inevitable. Jealousy is good, especially in, in a, a field so competitive, because without jealousy, you're not going to get any motivation. If you see someone who's doing better than you and you're like, oh, that's great. Good for them. Where's, you know, there's no fire. But when you're jealous and you're like, I want that, there's a fire lit under you. You're going to work harder to do better. And it's just the way you perceive the jealousy. You can either, you know, bring them down, tell them that they suck and make them feel bad about themselves. Or you can use it for yourself, use it to be better. You know, it's just about using it correctly. And I think that all of these, you know, weird experiences, all these people telling me that I'm not good enough, it's made me stronger. And I think that I can handle this so much better now. And I'm glad that I went through all of that. How long have you known that you wanted to be an actor? Since I've never wanted to be anything else. Like, honestly, since I, I can remember so do you think that had a big thing to do with the eating disorders? Because actors are always, you know, you have to look a certain way to make it big in Hollywood. It's kind of the, the message yeah. that's been pushed. So do you think maybe that was a kind of a catalyst as a child, just seeing actresses and being like, I want to be like her, but she looks yeah. this way. So I have to look this way. And then maybe that was just something bouncing back and forth in the back of your head. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, all of my idols growing up were, you know, skinny women. And, uh, and yeah, and, and especially in the industry, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely changing now. My, you know, 
like what I perceive the industry to be, it's changed a lot. But in the past, I always thought I have to be skinny to book a role. I can't, I can't be, you know, chubby and get a role. I can't be plus size and book a role. Like no one's going to want me. And in the past, I've blamed not getting a role on my weight, which is so like wrong and not true. Um, but that's what I thought. And uh, sometimes you have agents who tell you that agents who tell you, you have to lose weight um, or agents who tell you you have to get a nose job, but um, those at the end of the day, aren't the people for you. Uh, but yeah, growing up, all my idols were skinny, skinny women. All the shows I watched were all skinny, literally perfect women. And um, that definitely contributed to how I wanted to look. And everyone kind of grew up watching the same media to an extent. So I'm yeah. sure this obviously isn't a, a unique problem. This is something that I'm sure, you know, a lot of women and even young men, there was a lot of talk about it with, uh, you know, shows on Netflix, stuff like that, more <laughs> just every show coming out where it's all these 20, 20 something year old men playing 16 year old boys and they're all ripped, jacked, six, three, chiseled and it's just yeah. pushing a a look that people see and they think to themselves well until i look like this i'm not really valid yeah the media is so big in that especially in terms of film and tv so i guess it's kind of great that those two things that we came to talk about intertwine so well with each other yeah moving on from that though Give me a second. <laughs> I'm going to pause it. Now, kind of moving on from that, just talking more about your fitness account. Has it been much harder for you, you know, during lockdown to be able to keep up with all of your routines and habits since there's no gyms open for the foreseeable future? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the gym, I love the gym so, so much. Um, I loved just, you know, being to go there with my friends and it was kind of like we were all hanging out and I, I met so many people at the gym who like became my friends, you know, the people who worked out there became my friends. Uh, and when you just can't go there anymore, it was like every time I drove past it, I would look in the window and just get really upset. But, you know, you adapt and after, over time it gets easier. Um, but yeah, during the lockdown, they, I just had some like some sort of phase where I was just like, you know, really in a low point and I just kind of stopped working out for a bit which is what I needed and I'm glad I did that but you know you find your motivation again and uh, I just think you kind of have to listen to what your body's telling you and if your body needs a break if your body's unhappy then you give it time you let it adapt you can't get upset at yourself for you know it being confused and not motivated and it's just kind of finding ways to be active finding what works for you trying new things and yeah I've adapted and I I I found what I like now. Which is? Well, we recently got a Peloton, which is Ooh, the best thing ever. That's huge. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it was like, honestly, the best. We've used it to its wits end already. Well, the, the bike, right? Because I, I yeah. also used to think Peloton was just the bike, but they make, uh, you know, treadmills and uh, yeah. really expensive, like the most high-end fitness stuff yeah. you will ever see. It was definitely an investment, um, but you know my whole family uses it every single day. Uh, it's like it's like our new talking point at dinner. Like, oh, like what class did you do? Like, what instructor? Like, it's our favorite thing. I absolutely love it. Um, so I do that every day now. I do some weights. I have some weights downstairs. So 
just a little bit of that, some walking, some running. I've gotten into running, which is so weird. I used to hate running. Uh, but yeah, it's honestly kind of veered away from wanting to look a certain way to now just having fun with it. Do you have uh, any siblings at home? Yeah, I have. I One of my brothers is at university. He just came home for a month, but he's back. And but I have an, another brother who's um, trying to get into law school right now. And are they as, as you know, into fitness as you are, or is that your, your shtick? I, I would say that I'm most into it. My oldest brother is definitely like getting into it a lot more. He's doing really well. Uh, my dad's really into fitness. My mom likes to work out. Um, my other brother, he's more on the lazy side. <laughs> Bless his soul. He used to be more into it. But um, yeah, he's more on the lazy side. So is there a lot of, you know, competitive energy going on in your house, like high scores on the Peloton? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My dad, my dad thinks he's a star. Um, he likes to, yeah, we kind of make fun of him because he's like really like, he like, you can hear him like swearing when he's, <laughs> when he's doing a class because he's so into it. But um, yeah, we definitely try to beat each other, do like the most difficult ride. We talk about what ride we did, like what the music was. It's, it's a big talking point for us now. Now, you know, obviously the, the Peloton, the bike, what you're talking about, before COVID, were you a big bike, a big cyclist? No, I really wasn't. I liked, I loved going to spin classes here and then. Um, I didn't like going out and do it. Like, you know, it was like a Friday night and I would like go, go to a spin class before going out, which is so weird. But um, I really liked going to them. They always not, they, they were just so motivational because it's like everyone in there is in as much pain as you're in and you have someone yelling at you and it was like the room is just all dark and that was honestly every time I finished a class I was like that's the best hour of my life because it was just a time for me to literally be alone when in a dark room and just like literally leave all of my stress aside and like think about what I want with my life I would just always think about my dream life whenever I did that and I've cried a few times in my spin classes just because they make you feel feel some type of way now i talked about this with uh shane on the last episode who uh he you know he felt very strongly that gyms should be considered essential and kept open no matter what because it's a you know a, a mental health aspect for a lot of people it's their go-to place it's their it's their most comfortable it's like a second home and people need the gym to, you know, be themselves because they've relied on it so, so much on the past for their, you know, mental health problems to just take it away like that. Do you think the gyms should be open or do you think it's, it's better for the COVID-19 procedure to keep it locked down? Honestly, I think at this point where we are now, I think it's really important to like, just focus all of our attention on, you know, getting better, like getting, like working, um, staying home. I think that's really important. And I think there are other ways to be active. Um, you know, I, I just think it's all kind of about adapting and, uh, you know, some people have it worse than others. Um, I can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not Shane. We have different stories. Uh, so for me, I think it was easier to adapt. You know, I got into running, I have weights downstairs, which I'm very fortunate to have. Um, and I think for some people, you know, I'd see people who are at my gym, I see them running in the neighborhood and I, and I think, how are they doing what they're doing at home? Because they would be lifting, like pushing so much weight. And I'm like, I, I, there's no way they have that at home. And I think it's harder for others. Um, but I think for me personally, I think it's important just to stay home at this point. 
Yeah, I think I think there's obviously good arguments for both sides. Yeah. And, you know, especially with the lockdown and cases, you know, rocketing up. Do you think uh, you put a lot of your friends onto uh, going to the gym and being fit? Do you think they saw you as a as kind of a motivation or, you know, seeing a friend go? No need to be humble here. Uh, <laughs> seeing a friend go and being like, you know, Jess is doing this. It looks really fun. I want to go with her next time. Do you think you've been a positive influence? I'd like to think so. Um, I've, I've gotten a few of my friends onto weightlifting, which have worked wonders for them, which I'm so glad. Like I've had a few of my friends be like, I'm so glad you taught me how to do this. And, you know, I started weightlifting when I was in grade nine. I was always the youngest one in the gym um, doing what the men were doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just, I found, I got so much joy out of teaching my friends how to you know, squat and how, and seeing them improve every time we went to the gym. Um, but yeah, I think that I, I was kind of there to motivate them in a way and show them how strong they really were. Now, after your experiences with eating disorders and just all the issues that came with it, do you think you kind of created a, a good, a good eye for seeing it in other people? Do you think you can catch on really early when you you see a, a friend or a relative going through it? Definitely. Um, I've seen it's, you know, I've realized how common it is, how like maybe not, you know, full blown eating disorders, but you know, that kind of behavior, like restrictive behavior. Um, it's so common, uh, especially in, in girls, the amount of times I've been in like the LP washrooms and heard girls be like, Oh my God, I look so fat today. And yeah, I skipped lunch. I didn't have breakfast. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm not whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely have an eye for it. I, I see it uh, clearer now. I know the symptoms. I know the signs. Uh, I know how to approach it um, because I've been through it. And, you know, right now my goal is just to educate others on it and teach them, you know, how dangerous it is and how to approach someone and how to spot it. Do you have any, any major tips for someone going through what you went through? Um, yeah, I just think that, you know, the first, the hardest part of the whole recovery is, is admitting you have a problem and admitting that you need to get help. Um, for me, I was, you know, my mom kind of was like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get you to actual professional help. And I was ready for it. It was kind of like a, an equal, you know, an equal opinion that I needed to get help, which was good. But um, some parents are oblivious. Some kids are stubborn. Uh, I just think that the first step is admitting you have a problem and actually taking the effort to get better. And I think that professional help is always definitely necessary because without professional help, I would not be where I am right now. I've seen many different people um, and they've helped me a lot. Another thing would just to be deleting every calorie, calorie counting app that you have. Just delete it. Unfollow any models you follow. Follow body positive people. It helps more than you know. Um, and just do your research on it because the research scares you. And it scared me. And I, I just, I, like, my goal now is to scare people to show them how dangerous it is. Were you, were you a little stubborn? Did it take you a while to admit it to yourself? Um. Yeah, definitely. I, I knew I had a problem, but I I just didn't want to get help because I was like, you know, I'm skinny and that's what I've always wanted. But, you know, it gets to a point where 
walking down the stairs is exhausting and it gets to a point where you're so cold that you can't, you, you can't, you can't stand it. Um, and it's like, it's just so uncomfortable and it's, it's exhausting. And it's, it's at the point where your body physically can't take it anymore. And that's when I knew I was like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I have to, I have to, I have to change this. I can't live like this. Evidently a lot of the pressures to admit you know, you have this kind of problem or rather reasons that, you know, pull you back from being self-aware is just the, the stigmatization of, ooh, an eating disorder, or, you know, a scary name like that. Do you, wh what do you think are the steps to kind of destigmatize it so it's easier for people to become self-aware and, and admit to themselves that they're not in a good place? honestly just talking about it and literally being so open about it and that's what that's kind of my goal when I'm making my you know my posts and my videos on YouTube I just I'm literally as open as I can be um there are still obviously some things that I'm not ready to share and that I don't know if I'll ever share because they're dark um and I wouldn't want to give anyone any ideas of course uh but at the same time just being open about it and and not being so like hush hush eating disorders, you know, like being ashamed of it. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's, it's, it, you know, it's the dead, deadliest psychiatric disorder in the world. And it's important to talk about it. It's important to talk about the effects. It's important to talk about how it damages your body. Um, and it's important to talk about the science because, you know, at the same time, the, the mental effects are so important, but also the science behind it, the science behind how it, it can, it's so deadly. Um, it just, it, you just can't be so hush hush about it. You can't be ashamed about it. It's common. It's more common than you think. And I think it's just about being open about it and talking about it and, uh, you know, sharing your own stories. Jess, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and opening up. This was a really great experience for me. I feel like I, I learned a lot and I, I hope everyone listening to this feels the same way. This was, you know, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, have a good day. And that concludes this episode of the Informal Education Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. And I'll see you next time. There you have it, folks. That was episode three of the Informal Education Podcast. Just one more time, I want to thank Jess, and I will be linking her fitness Instagram account in the description. So make sure to go check her out. And as always, thank you for tuning in.